What do you do when you really want to hear something? Have you ever had that where you really want to hear something and people are talking behind, around you and you're like, shh, this is important. Maybe it's like the lyrics to a song. You're like, wait, what, what did that song say? And you want to hear it, so you turn the radio up louder. I want to hear these lyrics. Maybe it's the punchline to a joke, and you're like, wait, I just missed it. Why is it funny? Why is everyone laughing? Or the remedy for an ailment. Somebody says, you know, if you do this, and you're like, wait, I've got that ailment. What did they say the remedy was? What did they say to take or to do? Or the recipe for something you want to make? Have you ever been you know, watching the Food Channel, and they're doing something so delicious, like barbecue ribs, not like this happened to me or anything, but it did, beef ribs. And right when they're getting to the recipe, I get a phone call and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't tell me who to vote for. I'm trying to listen to a recipe on ribs. Or directions to the place you need to be. And they're like, you're like, no, no, again, repeat the por favor, please. You know, I need this counsel for your problem and you want to hear it or the answer to a dilemma a prophecy that is for you and what do you do whenever you hear what's important you shut off all competing voices whether you shush people or you turn off the television or you turn off the radio you might close the windows close the door because you want to get this you might leave the room and find a quiet place you can really, really hear. You'll get closer to the source that is speaking. You do that, you get closer, you put your ear right up to them. On that flight, the second flight that we had, um, I sit next to a really nice couple with a baby, but Brian was two rows in front of me. And he was speaking to a guy who was saying, <laughs> which was English. And Brian was trying so hard to understand this man because this man was super open to the gospel and he was telling Brian about a chronic ailment that he had but Brian had no idea what that chronic ailment was or how open he was to the gospel but at the end Brian said I know something went right because at the end you know Brian put his arm around him and said you know I'm praying for you and the guy grabbed Brian's hand and said <laughs> awesome you know but Brian said he found himself like almost leaning over into this guy's lap and putting his ear as close to this guy's mouth going, I hope he doesn't think I'm strange. I did tell him I was a pastor. But you're trying to hear. And even when a little child is talking, you know how sometimes you'll bend down and you'll get as close as you can to hear what they're saying. I remember Braden when he was uh, turning three and I had this birthday party and he's saying something and I leaned way down because we had all these people over just to catch those three-year-old birthday words and this is what they were. I hate happy birthday to you. <laughs> I got up and everyone was like, what did he say? What did he say? And I'm like, it's not worth repeating. <laughs> but you, you turn your head towards the source of the sound. You pay attention. You tune out, you ignore the distractions, you concentrate on what you're hearing. You might take notes, you might ask questions, you might listen to it again and again until you catch what is being said. Two years ago, I remember going to Denver to uh, speak in Colorado Springs at a conference. My plane at OC was delayed an hour. 
I got there, the line for budget rental was two hours. I finally got to it and now I'm on the road right at the peak of traffic and I've got to go at least 70 miles and I do not know my way around Colorado at all. So I tried to hook up my phone to the GPS system in the car, it didn't work. So I'm trying to listen to my phone, which is for some reason choosing a very quiet voice, you know, with the rental car. I, I could barely hear it. And I knew because I didn't know where I was going, I couldn't listen to Audible. I couldn't, um, you know, tune out and think, you know, uh, think too many you know, thoughts that would take me away. I had to be so attuned to whatever that lady on my GPS, on my phone was saying to me. Because you know what she did? She took me off the freeway on these side roads and then put me back on. And at times I was thinking, I don't know where I am. Can't I just stay in traffic and just go with the flow? And she's like, no, get off, you know, come back on. And I made it literally with minutes to spare. Like they were already doing worship and postponing everything. Like any time now our speaker will get there because I got there at 7.15 and it started at seven o'clock. But I still remember how I had to, you know, I couldn't take any other calls. I got a couple calls right there and I'm like, I can't talk. I, I, I need my phone so badly. I need this GPS right now. I had to be so attentive to it. If I wasn't attentive to it, I would get lost. And I didn't know where I was. Or I would miss the conference, the whole purpose of flying to Colorado and, you know, going through the two-hour lines and the traffic. I needed to listen because what my GPS was saying to me was of utmost importance if I wanted to fulfill the destiny or the call on my life. Jesus is God's ultimate message to men. Jesus is everything God wants to say to men. In Jesus is God's final offer and only offer of forgiveness, fellowship, reconciliation, blessing. It's only in Jesus. He is the most important word ever given to men. And he is God's most powerful word we're told in John 1, 1 that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. When we began our study in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, we were told that God at various times and in different ways had spoken in time fast to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he made the world. Jesus is God's ultimate, God's final, and God's greatest word to men. In Matthew 17, 5, and I love the story of the transfiguration, where Peter and John and James are up on this high mountain with the Lord. And all of a sudden, when they look, they see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And Jesus looks absolutely radiant, which I think is so Interesting because Moses and Elijah have come from the presence of God and from heaven, but it's Jesus that outshines them. It's Jesus that is absolutely radiant. But Peter is so excited to be invited to this party that he wants to add something. 
So he says, can you imagine? Here's Jesus all radiant. He's in the midst of a conversation. Hey, Jesus, let's build three tabernacles. Yo, I got an idea. Let's build one to Moses. Let's build one to Elijah and one for you. And all of a sudden, God the Father, he can't, he's kind of lost his patience with Peter. He parts the clouds and he says, this is my beloved son, Jesus. Hear him. Not Moses, not the prophets, but listen to Jesus because God is saying, he's my ultimate word. He's everything I want to say to men. Jesus is the message of God that cannot be ignored. He is the culmination of God's word. He is the culmination, the fulfillment of the law. The Old Testament was preparing men and women for this word. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the word that would be spoken through the Messiah. John 5.39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. In Luke chapter 24, as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other disciple, he takes them all the way from the very beginning of creation and he expounds to them through the Torah or the Pentateuch, through the prophets, through even the books of poetry, all the things concerning himself. And then in Psalm 40, Jesus said, prophetically through the spirit in the volume of the book it is written of me this book doesn't make sense unless jesus is right at the center of it and then everything begins to make sense and you see it it unlocks it you see why abraham was called to sacrifice isaac without jesus it doesn't make sense you see why Joash, King Joash was hidden in the temple grounds. Why Athaliah reigned. He was hidden and then he was brought out to the people and proclaimed as king. You understand David's exile. You understand why David couldn't build the temple, but it had to go to the son of David to build the temple. It all makes sense. You see why Moses couldn't go into the promised land, but Joshua, which is the Hebrew, Yeshua, which is the same as the name Jesus, was the only one who could take the people into the promises of God. You see, Jesus unlocks the Bible. He makes all the promises make sense. He brings fulfillment and understanding to the law of God, to the sacrifices, to the rituals. They were all pointing and they all point to God's ultimate message through Jesus. Jesus is what God wants men to know about himself, the purpose and meaning of life, truth, love, grace, eternal life, power, joy, and salvation. Jesus is the message that men must listen to. They must believe. They must embrace and hold on to in order to be holy, in order to come into the community of God, in order to be partakers of the heavenly calling, to have confidence in life and confidence in death, to have rejoicing in hope, to have rest and to inherit all the promises of God. This comes when we listen. Listen to the message of Jesus 
and the message that is Jesus. Hebrews 3 declares the superiority of God's message through Jesus. Hebrews 3.1, the author says, consider, consider the apostle and high priest of our faith. Another translation is fix your eyes on this. Think about this. Take time to, to mull this over, to process this, what this means. In order to do this, you're going to have to shut out the competing voices because Jesus is the most important message that you will ever hear. You must give attention to it. You must consider it. You must heed it. Jesus is the apostle, the one sent from God, the word of God coming into this world. He is the high priest of our confession, the only intercessor between God and man, the only intercessor, the only one who is God and who is, who is God and who is man, the only one who can truly intercede for man because he understands man and he became man. The only one who can intercede for God because only Jesus thoroughly knows the Father and the desires of the Father, the heart of the Father, the plan of the Father. Our confession, what is this? This is the body of our faith. It is what we learn about God, God's word, God's son, and God's work through Jesus Christ. We must hold on to this. And Jesus is the intercessor of this word, this confession. The message of Jesus is superior to the message of Moses. One, because Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses served the Lord, but Jesus is the son over the house of God. He is the one that Moses ultimately served. Everything that Moses did and taught and said to the children of Israel was a foreshadowing of Jesus, the message of God. The tabernacle itself was a typology of Jesus Christ. On the outside, it was covered with goat skin. It looked like every other tent in Israel. Oh, but when you stepped in, the weavings, the gold, the silver, which could only be seen as you stepped in to the tabernacle, the glory. So John said that Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. He is the ultimate temple of God. The law which Moses gave was a foreshadowing of the perfection of Jesus, the perfection that no other man could attain to but Jesus. The rituals and the sacrifice all pointed to the work that Christ would do to make us right with God when he would forgive our sins. It all pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the message. Moses came with the message that foreshadowed the great message of Jesus. Jesus is greater. He is the builder of the house. Jasmine put it like this, and I only found this out in leaders meeting, and I said to Jasmine, I'm taking that. I'm taking that. She said, Moses is the butler who lets you into the house, opens the door into the house, but you don't praise the butler. You don't say, oh, I love what you've done with this house. I love the design. I love the, uh, the decoration. I mean, you must have earned all this. 
to build something like this. The butler's like, hey, I only work here for a great master. And I love my master. Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the architect. Jesus is the owner of the house. The whole house reflects Jesus. It speaks of Jesus. Jesus' message is greater than the message of Moses. It has greater promises. Moses couldn't enter the promised land. It has greater power. The law could not make anyone perfect. It only told you about your imperfections and how you needed a savior. Jesus' message is greater because the consequences for refusing it are greater. Moses was faithful in his service, but Moses was not perfect. He was a murderer, and he misrepresented God at the waters of Meribah when he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock. Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the one who created the whole world. He is the source of God's word. He is the reason for God's word. He is the agency of God's word, and he is God's word. Jesus is perfect. He's absolutely perfect. He alone can handle power. You see, none of us could handle being over that house. Now, you might think, I could handle being over a mansion. I'm telling you right now, you couldn't. You couldn't. You, you would get so conceited. You would say, you know, if only you were like me, you could have a mansion too. I, I, I was talking to this girl, and she says to me, why is my marriage struggling? I did everything right during the engagement. Everything right. I said, that's why. That's why you're struggling with your marriage. Because you tried to be Miss Perfect. And what would happen? If your marriage was really good right now, you would tell everybody, do what I did. Follow my example. Let me write out my instructions, my methodology. And then they'd be looking to your methodology They'd be looking to you, and they wouldn't be looking to Jesus for a good marriage. So God, God ruined your perfection. It's a God thing. And I'm so glad he did. Because you couldn't handle the perfection. If, if we did everything right, we would be so miserable to be around. Because just when we get those little things right, we're just like, I, I should write a book. I need to instruct others. You know, I always do everything right. I never do anything wrong. You know how I learned that song? It was what my parents used to sing to each other. And it wasn't in good times that they would sing it to each other. <laughs> Jesus alone can handle power. He alone. I mean... Think about this. No president is safe with the power that he gets. I'm sorry. No president is safe with that much power. They're going to make bad moves. Anyone in that position is going to make a wrong move at some time. And it's going to cause all sorts of ramifications to everybody. But Jesus alone is safe with that office. Jesus alone is the best high priest we could ever, ever have. No other high priest could guarantee our safety in his company, but Jesus, oh, we're safe with Jesus. All that power is invested with Jesus, and guess what? He's still gracious. He's still kind. He's still loving. He's still humble. Only Jesus. Only 
Jesus is safe with the fullness of God dwelling bodily in him. And we are safe with Jesus alone. There's a danger to ignoring or neglecting the great message of God. And he points to the message of Moses. If there were consequences to disobeying or neglecting Moses' message, which was inferior to the great message of Jesus Christ, and and this is an argument from the lesser to the greater, if ignoring the message of Moses had consequences, so much more ignoring the message of Jesus Christ. The author is uh, using the Psalms to talk about an incident that happened in the book of Numbers. And what happened in the book of Numbers, uh, Numbers 13 and 14, is that the Israelites, after walking with God, after being delivered out of Egypt, having the Red Sea part before them, having the cloud cover by day and the pillar of night, the visible the visible presence of God that could be seen by all the people after seeing Mount Sinai where the thunder um, thundered around it, where the lightning struck, where the mountain shook. After receiving um, the sweetened waters that had been bitter, but the tree was thrown into it and it was made sweet. After being valiant over the attacks of the Amalekites, as Moses sat on the mountain raising his hands, after receiving water out of a rock, every day the faithful manna from heaven, they come to the very edge. It's time to go into the promised land. The 10 spies go in. Of those spies, two come back and said, I'm sorry, 12 spies, two come back and say, oh my goodness, the land is wonderful. Look at these grapes that we've gotten. It's all good. It's so great. But the other spies say, oh no, it's got giants. It's got fortresses. It's got armies. It, no, 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 no. This is not good. I can't believe that's the land God promised us. There, you know, And the people begin to cry and they begin to wail saying, God, God has failed us. He brought us this far just to kill us. Don't judge these people. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Because God has done so much for us, and he brings us right to the edge of of receiving all the promises. And we say, oh, I'm going to die. This trial is going to take me down. This is the one. And this is what the children of Israel did. And they refused to go into the promised land because they did not believe the word of the Lord. They didn't believe that the promises were really on the other side and that God would take down the giants and God would make the walls fall down of all the fortresses and give them the victory just as he promised. Even though God had been so faithful, even though God had already done so many great things for them, It said they forgot, they forgot. And so they couldn't enter in to the promise. And this is what God said. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That was the way God God saw that. When they refused to believe, God called it the rebellion. 
in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the consequence of ignoring the message. It causes the heart to be hardened. Every time you put off the conviction of the Holy Spirit, every time that it's not given priority, a little callus develops on your heart and gets harder and harder. Every time it's left unattended, the heart becomes more calloused to the word of God until you stop hearing the word of God. Years ago, I was in an afterglow and I was leading it. And I had this vision. And I had a vision of a black velvet bag filled with ashes that was in the back of a closet. And I had felt the spirit say to me, it's bitterness and I want you to announce it. And I remember I'm leading the afterglow and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm not really a vision person. I mean, I, I, I'm more like I'm leading this afterglow. This is what I'm saying to God. Can you believe it? Well, I'm trying to be open to the Holy Spirit, lead these women and worship. I'm arguing with the Lord, telling him I don't want to give the vision because I don't want people to look at me like a person who gives visions. I'm all worried about my reputation. Can I just be like the cool person who just leads? You know, I, I don't really want to participate. I just want to lead. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, if you neglect this now, I won't speak to you again. And I said, I see, I see a black velvet bag. It's filled with ashes. The ashes represent bitterness. It's in the back of the closet. A girl screams from the back of the audience, screams like, ah, that's me. I have my mother's ashes in a black velvet bag in my closet at home. And I'm so bitter at the Lord that he allowed my mother to be murdered. Now what? I said, I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> you know, you around her, surround her. Let's pray for her. She stood, laid hands on her. We prayed for her. But I'll never forget that. If you harden your heart, Cheryl, if you refuse, because I was in my 20s, all right? If you refuse this word, if you don't move on this, that I'm speaking to you, you're not, you're going to not hear me. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing I want, I want a sensitivity to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to know. As it says in Isaiah, you will hear a voice behind you saying, go to the right or go to the left. I want to hear the voice of the Lord. But every time I don't give it priority, even as a believer, my heart will harden and rebellion will ensue. When we refuse to obey God's message, we're going to listen to another message that will lead us away from God, that will cause us to go astray in our hearts. And why do we do this? Because we do not know God's way. We do not know God's ways, that God's ways are good, that God's ways are gracious and merciful. And we often assume that God is saying something he's not or requiring something that he's not or assuming that God is something that he isn't. How many times we think that God is cruel or arbitrary when God is good and God is gracious and God is kind? 
And we assume that God is doing something that he's not doing. We assume that he's breaking us when he is getting ready to build us. And we lose out on the promises of God. We never reach the destination that God intends. We never fulfill the purposes that God has for us. And we never receive the blessings that God wants to bestow. I was telling um, the women in leaders meeting, it just came to me while we were there because I had forgotten this incident. But I was in high school and I had this craving for the -the jack-in-the-box tacos. And so there was a long queue or line of cars, but I went through it. I gave my order to the clown and I came around and I paid my money and I drove off without my tacos. And I didn't realize it till I was like two blocks away. You know, like, where are the tacos? I had paid my money. I had been in that line. I had ordered them and I didn't go back. I didn't go back, one, because I didn't want to get in that line again. Two, I didn't want them to remember or recognize me. The girl who pays for tacos, just have a nice day. Give them to the poor. But I think so many times we're like that in our, in our Christian walk. We're, you know, we're waiting in line. We're, we're, we're investing. We're investing our lives. We're giving up things. And we're so close to the tacos so close to the promises of God where we can eat, where we can taste them. And it's then we just drive off. We drive off and we never get the tacos. And you know, we need, we need to hold on. And this is what he says, hold on. Get a grasp of this. Don't leave without the tacos. And so if you don't get anything else, remember, do not leave without the tacos. But we are to learn from their example. When you are tested, we will all have a day of testing, a day of trial. When things go wrong, when hardships ensue, when persecution arises, this is the time to listen, to heed God's word. It's the time to draw closer to the Lord and put your ear as close to him as possible. To hold fast the confidence that we have in Christ. To hold fast what he has promised us, to hold fast onto what he has done for us and what we have received from him, to hold fast to the joyful hope that we have in Jesus and to resist a heart of unbelief, to resist those voices that are telling you that your way is better, to resist the voices that offer an alternative to what God's word says, And the alternatives is deceitfulness of sin. This is going to get you where you want to go. Do it this way. Or the false promises of sin and rebellion. If sin didn't make false promises, no one would ever sin. But it's deceitful. That's how people get tricked into sin. Because it promises this immediacy. And it's it's like the mafia. You know, it gives you all this money and then comes back and says, we're going to break your fingers unless you pay it all back right now. You have to resist doing something contrary to God's word. And we need to respond immediately to the Holy Spirit's conviction and not give our hearts an opportunity to harden or become callous. 
not to put it off because it will only, only cause our heart to harden. It will keep us from hearing and being sensitive to the leading of the Lord, to the work of the Lord, to the voice of the Lord. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that hardness of heart can happen to anybody. We are not exempt, even as believers, from having our heart hardened. He reminds us that all the Israelites were delivered from Egypt. God intended to bring all of Israel into his promises. However, because they refused to believe the message, they rebelled against God's word. They said, God's word's not true. Again, there are giants in the land. And God was angry and their corpses fell in the wilderness, not in the promised land. They died without the promises in a dry place. And we must beware an evil heart of belief, unbelief. We need to catch ourselves at the very inception. I want to say to you right now as a warning, is there a part of God's word or a promise that you are not believing? Is there something that's holding you back from believing God's promise or God's word to you? You need to confess it. Turn from it because it will lead you away from the living God. And and sometimes we think, well, I'll just hold on to this little iota of unbelief. But Galatians 5.9, Paul says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little unbelief will begin to creep in and take more and more territory of our heart. God has given us the ultimate message through Jesus. How much greater the folly if we do not listen to the message of God through his son, the apostle, the high priest, the faithful one, the appointed, the builder, the son, the one who Moses pointed to. Because only Jesus can bring us into all the promises of God. But if we do not listen, we will not achieve the promises that God intends for our life. We will not experience the security of our faith, the confidence. We will not experience the joy or rejoicing of our hope. We will not experience being partakers of all Christ has earned for us. Christ has earned all the blessings and favor of God. And he wants to make us partakers in all that belongs to him. And this is what we miss out on when we do not believe his word, his promises. How did, how, what, what would unbelief look like as a believer? It would, believe, it would be like this. God has only forgiven some of your sins, but not all of them. My dear sisters, Jesus Christ has forgiven every single one of your sins. You are not responsible for any of them. They've all been paid for. But if you are trying to atone and make up for that past, you're going to miss out on the rest. You're going to miss out on the joy. You're going to miss out on the confidence and the security. Your sins are 100% paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered every sin. What does unbelief look like? Unbelief looks like you have to earn God's favor. When God's favor was earned for you, 
through Jesus Christ. It's when you're substituting grace for works and you're reading your Bible not to get closer to the Lord or get your ear right up to him, but you read your Bible as a work. Like I must read my Bible if I want God's love, if I want God's goodness. No, you read your Bible so you can get closer to know God's goodness to know God's grace so you can have that security, so you can have that peace, so you can have all the promises of God. Sometimes we read just to know what promises are ours and go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I could have that one. I'll take five. We need to keep from hardened hearts. Recognize your own vulnerability to a hardened heart. If it happened to Israel, it can happen to you. You need to beware. The author tells us beware, which means you have to be on the alert for unbelief in your own heart. Ask God to show it to you and then repent, which just means turn from it. Turn from that place and turn to the Lord. Strengthen your grasp on Jesus Christ. Strengthen your grasp on all that Jesus has done for you. Maybe tell yourself, Jesus died for this. Jesus has covered this. Jesus loves me. I'm adored by Jesus. Invest your time and attention on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus and all he's done. Strengthen your grasp. Get your hold so strong. I'm not letting go of you for anything. I remember when I was scared as a child, I would get a hold of my dad's hand. You know, it's so funny. I always used to think I was holding onto his hand. You know, my little tiny hand holding that great, big, rugged hand. To this day, I can still remember the feel of my daddy's hand. My dad did not have soft hands. He had calloused hands, but they were so strong. And when he would take a hold of my hand, I felt so secure. I felt so safe. Get a hold of Jesus' hands. They're calloused. They had nails put through them for you. They are the most loving, strong hands. Get a grasp of that. But you know what's funny? When you get a grasp of that, you'll find out he's holding your hand even tighter and he's not letting go. As he said in John 10, nobody, nobody can remove you from my grasp. Nothing. And as Paul said in Romans chapter eight, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Strengthen your grasp. Strengthen your hold. One of the ways we can strengthen our grasp, we can strengthen our hold, that we can recognize unbelief, that we can be aware of it, is as we exhort each other. As we encourage each other, we encourage ourselves. Have you ever had that? Where you are just like encouraging someone in the Lord, honey, you stay close to Jesus. And as you're doing it, the Lord's going, you too. That's for you also. Okay, but this is good stuff. And it's all coming back at you. Oh, the more I encourage others, the more I'm encouraged in Christ. Like right now. We encourage people to buy up the opportunity today. Today, heed the voice of the Lord. If God is speaking you to you today, then do it. 
Encourage them to faith, to believe God's word, that they might enter into the rest and the promises. Sometimes it's just telling them all the promises. When I used to teach Sunday school, I would bring this box and I would open up the box. Well, first of all, what I would do is I would collect every child's name before we started. And then at the end, I would tell the kids, if you listen to the story, if you sing all the songs and cooperate with the songs and the singing and our craft, then at the end of class, I will draw a name out of this jar. And if I call your name, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you get the question right because you've listened and you've cooperated, you get your choice of all of one of these prizes in this box. And then I would open the box and I would show them bubblegum tape. Or I would show them, you know, you get this pin with all these different colors on it. Or you get this balsa airplane. And I would just get a variety of prizes and I would put them in that box. One year I was teaching Sunday school up at family camp and I had these really naughty boys that thought they were really funny by changing each other's name tags. They traded name tags so I could never know their names. I said, that's great, you can do that. That is so funny, you're so cute. But if I don't know your name, then you can't have one of these prizes. Just sorry, but you know these are for the kids that listen and whose names I know. And I opened it up. When I got to the bubble tape, this one kid goes, my name is Lance, I want my name tag back. Give it back now. And he did win the bubble tape. As I encourage and exhort others, and sometimes it's just telling them all the promises that are available to them in Christ Jesus. I'm taken out and going, oh, in this box, there's peace. In this box, there's joy. In this box, there's healing. In this box, there's restoration. In this box, the promises of God. And sometimes I'm just bringing out the promises and showing it and saying, All these can be yours if you listen. And at the end of the study, if you can answer the questions, you can come and you can pull any prize that you need out of this box. The word of God is proven. His message is proven. 2 Samuel 22, 31 Psalm 18.30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. It absolutely works. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Psalm 12.6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The people in the wilderness did not believe the word of God. And they missed out on all the promises, even though everything that God had said had come true. Everything. God keeps his word. How much more this ultimate word that we have in Jesus Christ, we need to listen to it. And what the spirit speaks to us through Christ, we need to act on it. And so we're going to encourage people to let go of this sin and the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort them. Sin is deceitful. It might let you have something right now that's pleasurable for like five minutes, but it's going to extract from you for the rest of your life. Exhort them to the immediacy of the hour and the potential of all the promises that are being jeopardized by unbelief. Jesus is God's perfect, ultimate message to each one of us individually because all the promises of God are ours through Christ Jesus. And we need to listen to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
that all this is ours. Lord, we don't have to try to ascend to heaven. We don't have to try to be perfect. We don't have to seek to merit your promises, your rest, your joy, your goodness. It is all ours through Jesus Christ. And the and your son continues to speak to us and speak into us. Lord, I pray that you would keep us from any hardness of heart. Lord, if there's a woman in here, Lord, that there's a little bit of unbelief. Lord, there's just a little bit of disappointment where she's kind of holding you hostage, Lord. We pray by the Holy Spirit that you would begin to bring that wall down, that place down, where she could again, again, hear your voice and act on it. it. I want every eye closed, but if that's you, if you feel like, Cheryl, I do have a little bit of unbelief and I don't want it, will you raise your hand? Okay, sisters, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. You don't have to try and usher it out. You don't have to kick it out. You don't have to scream at it. You just have to tell Jesus, Lord, you know this place. And I want to be sensitive again to your voice because I want all the promises. I don't want to pay my money and drive off without the tacos. Lord, these are your daughters. These are your precious ones. Remove the unbelief and put faith in its place that they might inherit every single promise that you have for them. Good promises, promises of joy and peace and prosperity. Lord, work in my sisters, I pray, according to your goodness according to your goodwill, according to your good son, who has brought to us all the promises of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.